today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Donald Trump has signed an executive order uh, aimed at prioritizing the shipment of the coronavirus vaccine to Americans. Uh, essentially, uh, what this does is, uh, well, at least that's what he hopes it's going to do anyway, is to ensure that Americans receive a vaccine before any government assistance to any other country. Uh, Global's Reggie Cicchini has some of the details for us. On Monday, the New York Times reported the Trump administration passed on the purchase of hundreds of millions of additional doses of the Pfizer vaccine. And while the White House pushes back... It just simply was not true. President Trump signed an order on Tuesday saying domestic rollout of the vaccine will happen before any shipments are sent overseas, insisting he could use a Defense Production Act to force manufacturers to make additional doses. It's unclear what say he would have over companies who have already signed contracts with other countries. The president has been criticized for stepping away from a leadership role during the pandemic to focus on baseless claims of election fraud. No members of the Biden team were invited to the COVID summit on Tuesday, and when pressed, Trump said the incoming administration would be his own. Donald Trump lost the election on November 3rd. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. Uh, boy, a lot of ground to cover on this one. Uh, so pleased to uh, welcome our next guest, Elliot Tepper, of course, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University uh, with uh, uh, an emphasis on U.S. politics. Uh, Elliot, great to have you back in the program today. Uh, good uh, morning, Bill. Uh, uh, let's, let's start with the, the virus and, and, and the vaccine situation here, executive orders. Uh, how much weight do these things actually carry? Well, they can carry a lot of weight. They can do all kinds of things, but not this one. <laughs> There's not a lot of meat to this or operational... Uh, capacity. It doesn't really direct anything in particular. No executive orders can be used, as Donald Trump has shown, and uh, President Obama before him, when the Republicans tried to stop him from doing anything. Uh, executive orders uh, under Trump just have accelerated and they affect all kinds of things. But this particular one just says, boy, we really want to be sure we... Uh, it's we, America first, and we're going to be sure we get it first. Uh, this is after, uh, as our, the intro said, after it was reported that he turned down the possibility of securing even more of the vaccines, which have now been approved. But uh, at the moment, that particular executive order doesn't seem to have any anything other than saying, hey, we want to, we want to be sure we get it first. And if, if I can find a way to make that happen, I will. But uh, I was going to say there's a contradiction here. I guess that's a, an understatement when we're talking about Trump, uh, because he would not use the uh, the the, uh, the Defense Protection Act to, to try yes. to 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 motivate and, and get the the first wave of the vax or the the pandemic rather under control. Yet he's threatening to use it to do this. Uh, it's, it just seems as if it's too little, too late. Yes, he's uh, he's been correctly, I think, criticized for not using the one major tool he had at his disposal. Uh, at the outset of this crisis to be sure that enough equipment was provided uh, to basically everybody, but to hospitals in particular, to frontline people. And uh, he, he refused to invoke the powers that the U.S. has to guarantee that uh, factories will, will devote their attentions to it. But the private sector did uh, step up on that uh, to a large degree. No, this is just uh, that particular incident, and good for you for reminding everybody of it, shows once again that he was basically uh, not accepting full responsibility for looking after the very first thing he has to look after, which is the welfare of the country. Well, and I guess, you know, time and place, we have to remember the perspective there, too. Back in those days when he refused to do that, he was still saying the virus was just going to go away. Uh, So that, that, I guess, falls right into line with his idea of downplaying the whole thing. 
Yes, but also he can claim credit for Operation Warp Speed, which has indeed uh, can lay credit to having the very, uh, I mean, uh, astoundingly fast development of vaccines. Uh, the problem is that the same person who said to inject bleach is now claiming credit for Operation Warp Speed, which makes people wonder if corners have been cut, that it, it, it's devalued the um, the trust necessary to say, I'm going to be the first in line to get a vaccine produced by the process overseen by the guy who said it's all going to go away and I should inject bleach. So this is this is a, a situation where perhaps he could claim a lot of credit, but his own actions undercut it. When I saw this uh, going on the other day, and it was at a meeting in the White House, of course, that he actually did this the, the photo op at the, uh, the executive order, uh, it reminded me, of course, of, again, to that first wave when Canada had ordered, uh, I guess it was uh, face masks from 3M. I think it was being shipped out of Wisconsin, and it was basically blocked at the border uh, by the Trump administration that said, no, you can't have them. We're going to distribute them. Now, eventually, they worked it out, yeah. some negotiation, but uh, with existing contract, and for instance, the Canadian government uh, has existing contracts with Pfizer, among others, uh, to ship these things. Can, can an executive order override that? I, that's a, a question that uh, remains to be explored. It doesn't look as if that's going to happen. And if it does, how much of the vaccine, which is being produced in Europe, uh, and Canada has you know, the, the contract, signed contract, I, I think we should uh, broaden this out a bit, saying we are in a situation where there is light at the end of the tunnel. And at the end of 2020, uh, an awful year, it looks like 2021 will be a year of hope and, and perhaps uh, truly a way to to uh, turn the corner on this, uh, unlike, uh, you know, just saying rhetorically, we're going to turn the corner, we're going to bend the curve. And Joe Biden is making very extravagant promises, 100 million doses in 100 days, his first 100 days. And this is before the availability, really, of, uh, on a mass basis, but under contract of not just one cat vaccine, but a, a number of them. But one of the real concerns right now, I think uh, globally, and speaking as somebody in comparative politics, is vaccine nationalism is certainly understandable, but it's at the same time short-sighted. That is, every country will want to say, us first. Uh, Canada will try to do the same thing. We've, we've locked in a, a potential huge number of uh, of uh, doses from a variety of potential sources only one of which is just as of today more or less being uh, approved but other there are other vaccines vaccine nationalism would suggest that uh, those who have the money are going to get the shots that is the wealthier countries are going to are going to uh, jump to you know be first in the queue and the ones with the most money will be at the head of the queue i suppose that's how the world works but that isn't how the virus works if if the world remains an unequal world in terms of vaccine distribution and the bill gates foundation is making a big point of this then all that means is that well more than one thing that's going to happen one is that this this virus will just keep existing in the world and keep trying mm-hmm. to come back if if the vaccine is not spread around the world equitably so that uh, there's a project called COVAX designed to 180 countries have signed on to it saying when a vaccine becomes available, it will be shared equitably. But the U.S. and Russia have not signed on to that. So one thing uh, about the vaccine nationalism is that it really is not going to be a way to end the the crisis. And it's just going to play whack-a-mole with it as the crisis, as the virus uh, doesn't get stamped out around the world. The second thing is, 
uh, and this is where modeling is coming in, is that you can't cure the global economy against a global pandemic without a global response. And if you don't cure the, the uh, pandemic, you can't fix the economy. So the longer the crisis goes on, and vaccine nationalism might make it go on longer, the slower it will be before the economy can rebound, and that in turn will take a, a huge hit on people's livelihoods and lives. It's it's interesting about the uh, the methodology here. I know the uh, procurement minister for uh, the Canadian government, uh, Anad, uh, was speaking about this yesterday. And I, 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 you're right. I, this, this, the stuff's coming from Europe. I think it's Belgium, uh, and it's but it's flying to Kentucky and then on to Canada. I can't understand the stopover, but I'm sure there's some logistical explanation for that. But uh, coming by way of Germany be, as well. So. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's got to be some explanation for this. But you're right. I'm hoping it all works out in, in the end, uh, and everybody gets what they're supposed to get on this. Uh, but it's just it's interesting that uh, he seems to be trying to engage in this right now. I mean, this is a guy that's that's clinging to his political life right now. And 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 one of the other elements that I wanted you to to tap into here is uh, uh, the his attempt anyway, Trump's attempt to latch onto this lawsuit that was actually filed by the Attorney General of the state of Texas. Uh, and basically, they're asking the Supreme Court to. Uh, dump out all the votes in the Biden votes that is in, in all the, uh, the the states where he won such huge margins by and and essentially overturn the election results uh, I would comment about the, the, the first of all the lawsuit that's being filed and and Trump's attempt to hop into this I mean this is what I think they're over 33 uh, in the courts yes. and trying to get this done well a few quick things one is that 17 states have signed yeah. on to this the attorneys general from 17 states have joined with Texas. So this is not Texas only. It's a serious effort by officially the, the responsible uh, agents in each state. Of course, all of these are Republican states, the red yep. states, but 17. Now, uh, I've been very hesitant to, to call this election. That is, I've been saying all along, yes, we're going to call it on a certain day by the networks, and you know, we've just passed the Safe Harbor Day. That is, the day when the Electoral College uh, results have to be sent by the states on the 8th of December, and all all the states plus D.C. have now certified their, their how the election went. Remember, America has 50 separate elections, not one national election, mm-hmm. and it's for an election, electoral college, not not uh, a popular vote, which Biden won by, you know, 7 million votes plus. So what we have is on the 8th of December, it looks like it's all over because the states have certified this, and now on the 14th, the Electoral College will formally meet. That's coming right up a few days from now. And at that point, 300 and, you know, more than enough votes will be given to uh, to Biden to con- make him the president. But that is still not, not the end of it. Uh, what Trump's hope has been all along is that he would find a way to get this to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court would deliver him the election, we, everybody who's looking at this uh, saying, look, this is an absurd legal case. It doesn't have a chance. They're trying to get legal votes, votes that are considered legal under each state's law. They're trying to say are illegal, and that's never going to go anywhere. But you know, if this gets before that Supreme Court, and it's not impossible, it will. That Supreme Court has turned down a request by basically Republicans in Pennsylvania to get a case there, and I thought that was their most promising option, and the Supreme Court didn't even bother to look at it. 
uh, just a one sentence, nah, we're not going to look at this, which is a sign this particular avenue, uh, this particular case is likely not to go anywhere. But if it does, it is not an impossibility that the Supreme Court will say, on strictly legal grounds, because we are constitutional originalists, we have to uphold it. But therein lies the problem. In the, the Pennsylvania decision by the court, uh, which, by the way, as you mentioned, was unanimous, all, including all the Trump appointees on the Supreme Court, right. uh, said we're not going to bother with this. Uh, w- would this be a reversal for them to say yes, but we will entertain this one from uh, Texas on the 17? <laughs> oh, I get, I get that, but it's the same intention, though. Yes. Uh, it's highly unlikely that this is going to go anywhere. But since you've raised it, and uh, I have not been one who said, hey, this is over, it's over, it's over. It isn't over till it's over, which is uh, when Congress meets in joint session on January, what is it, 9th or 6th, I guess, 6th, and officially accepts the results uh, and count, recounts the votes of the Electoral College. And even that's being challenged by some Republicans saying, we're not going to accept what the Electoral College results are, and then it gets divided up into the House and Senate, and they vote separately, and no, it's not going to go anywhere, and even that avenue's closed off. But uh, it isn't over till it's over, and he still has this faint hope. And if it's turned down, in a sense, he can't lose. If he wins this long, long, long shot, well, um, that's the end of it. He'll be the president, just as he says. But uh, if he loses, which is far more likely, not certain, then it's just part of his... The, the election was stolen. I was stabbed in the back. Um, uh, there's a Jewish conspiracy here as well while we're at it, and uh, I still actually won this, and it's only because the uh, the ballots were stolen from me, and the Supreme Court is now part of that. It just reinforces the central message that he has actually won, and it was stolen from him, and that will freeze the Republican uh, Party right up until he makes up his mind just before, I suspect, <laughs> the next election, what he actually wants to do. Uh, quite aside from the partisanship that's at play here, there's a lot of questions being uh, raised about why uh, the Attorney General in Texas is, is the one who actually instituted this and, and tried to move this thing forward. Uh, is, is, is it uh, at all worth considering that, uh, that this particular individual is also under investigation by the FBI right now uh, for uh, some financial ditherings at a federal level? Is, 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 is this guy sincere that he really thinks this is going to happen, or is he just looking for a pardon from the president? <laughs> That's a long game. That's the, that's the cynic in me, Elliot. I can't, I can't help no, it. The problem, the problem, Bill, is the cynic in you has been raised in everybody. Uh, the, the lack of trust now in how the process works. Right now, Bill Barr is getting a lot of credit yeah. for saying, look, I did not find any. The, the FBI, we cannot conclude anything has been done that would change the election. And he's getting kudos for that. But at the same time, virtually the same day, he said, oh, by the way, I'm instituting a... Uh, a special counsel to investigate, to investigate, to investigate. That thing will eat into the Biden years. Uh, that gives power of subpoena and all kinds of ways to further hobble the the Biden administration due to Bill Barr's own activities. So uh, this this election and its aftermath is going to take a long time for America to overcome. Uh, in so many different ways, uh, and you know, I know the speculation now is is if this does uh, go by the wayside, or as the other thirty-three uh, legal attempts have done, and, and Joe Biden does get sworn in on January the twentieth, 
Uh, that that's not the end of the story either. I mean, the Republican Party itself right now. If it, well, what is the Republican Party right now? That's one of the questions. Uh, is it Donald Trump? Is it uh, and and Mitch McConnell? Is it uh, you know the the moderate Republicans that have tried to find compromise on the on the uh, COVID relief bill? I mean, you know, they they seem to have lost their way and lost their identity. They have an identity. Uh, the identity is what Trump wants. The party used to be in favor of free trade. Now it isn't. It used to be pro-immigration. Now it isn't. Uh, this is Donald Trump's impact. Uh, it was a hostile takeover of a party by an outsider, having defeated a lot of party regulars. But it is his party in the sense that, and this is, it's, uh, it's not a small rump of people that are Trump supporters. He has broad support by the Republican Party of the United States, and uh, to this minute, almost no Republicans who are elected have, at the federal level have said, yes, Joe Biden has won the election, even though it's quite clear he's won the election by all the normal means of counting. So what we have is a situation where the Republican Party really is following Donald Trump, and we don't know where Donald Trump wants to take it after January 20th. But that being the case, I mean, when he's out of office, he's no longer President Donald Trump. Does he still have that much sway? Because I, I, I'm getting the sense that this is not just because he's the president. They actually, this is a, this is a Jim Jones, let's drink the Kool-Aid situation here. They'll they'll follow this guy anywhere. They're certainly certainly the people that um, are the most devout followers, and I use that term of Donald Trump. They're willing to go to to any length to put themselves at risk to support him, as, as these, uh, these giant rallies have shown. The, what will happen after he's no longer president, and we assume that's going to happen, and you and I have just talked about a faint possibility it won't, but uh, we don't know. It's an empirical question what happens when he's, no longer question, uh, when he's no longer president. I've heard assertions that once he's no longer president, it's all going to just fade away, just like he said the virus would fade away, that this support is going to fade away because uh, America will just re revert to normal patterns. But that is still an open question, I think, uh, in my mind anyway. We don't know how much farther they will follow him once he doesn't have the levers of power but there's a lot of evidence that the positions he's taken and the way he has taken them, when, and I was trying to point this out, I think, four years ago with you, Bill, that the, uh, the Republican Party has become a party that which will play the race card, will play on xenophobia, will bring in fringe elements. Donald Trump just happened to be the guy that, you know, grabbed the seat at the head of the table, but the table was set by the party before he came along. Uh, lots more on this one, but we're right out of time this time. But, uh, well, it changes almost daily, so we'll talk again soon. Elliot, as always, thanks so much for this today. Anytime, Bill. Take care. Elliot Tepper from uh, Carlton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.